Thanks for joining us on the DDS Faith Podcast. Our prayer is that as we discuss what God has to teach us through His Word, we can all learn how to deepen, defend, and share our faith in Jesus Christ. So let's wrap up the discipleship series, the most important aspect of discipleship that we are given biblically being the family discipleship model um, and the commandment that parents have to train up their children in the ways of the Lord. Um, unfortunately, this is often neglected. Um, I've seen that um, around me growing up, how neglected this aspect of discipleship is and honestly it's really unfortunate because that's the way it is designed and and there's good reason for that that we'll get into but it looks like you had something to say um yeah so so you said family discipleship model um so really the 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 main point of this is for us to understand whose responsibility is it to make disciples so a lot of people, and as a youth pastor, I get this all the time, but I would have parents come in and essentially they would outsource their requirement to disciple their kids and they would outsource it to me, one of the one of the pastors. Um, which, does a youth pastor or a pastor make disciples? Yes. But is it their job to make all of the disciples? No, absolutely not. That's that's everybody's job. Um, go ahead. Well, and, and like you just said, there's a... There's a difference between, you know, like you making disciples as a youth pastor versus you being you being those students' primary disciple maker. Because in their life, you are not their primary disciple maker. Right. It's their parents. It should be the parents. Um, and so, unfortunately, the the way we do church now, and I'm, I'm generally speaking here, is that we gather all the students into you know, a Wednesday night or a Sunday night service that's just, you know, middle and high school. Um, and we we essentially throw them to the youth pastor so that the youth pastor can raise these children spiritually while the dads and the moms teach them about how to drive a vehicle and how to kill a deer and how to, you know, obey the law. The youth pastor teaches them the ways of the Lord and the Bible and disciples them spiritually. And, and that, that's and not how it should be. Under an hour once a week. Under an hour? And, yeah, under an hour once a week. That's <laughs> it. Um, and so now... At, given this strategy that we take as a church, now we have this subculture of students in the church that are having their own separate church. And so now, not only do we have parents that aren't discipling their children, but we have a massive divide between the students of the church and the adults of the church. Right. You so, know. right. So now, you know, the, the students are, are, quote, worshiping how they want to. They're doing the songs they want to. They're doing playing games, all this stuff. And when it's time to graduate, now they got to go to, quote, big church. Mm-hmm. And so that's that doesn't merge well because they don't know any of these people because they've had their own subchurch this whole time. So now we have to make a college ministry. That's why it was important to me when I did worship ministry at any of the church I was in. I always wanted to include as many students as I could in the worship team, whatever ensemble, mm-hmm. choir we had, so that they were part. You know, it wasn't the adult choir. It was the church choir, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and the church included people of all ages. I think that's a, and that's a great thing too. Um, but you know, so so now not only we we not only do we have parents that aren't discipling their children now, but we have this little subculture of a church and a youth group. So now when they graduate, they have to go to big church. That doesn't work very well because that didn't, that didn't mix with the style that they had going on. So now we have to create a college group. Now they're in the college group for the next four years, and now that's not enough. So now we have a college and career group, and it just keeps going and keeps going. So we have parents that aren't discipling their children, and we have these little subcultures of churches that have their own styles spread across every generation in this church, and that's not the biblical model for how discipleship should be. Um, and when you neglect the, the family discipleship model that is biblical and is a commandment that we have, then there's a lot of problems that can come out of this, such as, you know, one, you're almost building superficial Christians in a sense because when you're home, it's awkward to have these conversations with your family. But one of these days, the only time you're going to be able to have these conversations is in your home. Um, you know, we often got like COVID, for example. Right. That I think the church failed that test pretty miserably. Miserably. 
you looked like you had to say something. Yeah. Um, so this is just something that I do with my family. Um, excuse me. So after being, after being a youth pastor for, you know, 10 years, um, you know, and you see this, like you said, this almost this subgroup, this sub church almost that you get with the youth. Um, and then, you know, they kind of sprinkle them into the big service, you know, or they got children's church and it's just like, okay, they're over there, you know, and it's like, it's the parent's job to teach that child how to sit in service and how to make disciples. And, you know, um, with my kids, you know, we sit them down and actually the, the church that I go to, um, uh, we, we sit them down, we talk to them, but the church that I go to when they do the Lord's supper, they specifically say, if your child is not saved, do not let them partake in this. And then they say, use it as an opportunity for discipleship to share the gospel with them. Mm -hmm. And we do that with our kids all the time. It's wonderful <clears throat> because they ask questions. They're in the service and they see mom and dad go and, you know, um, uh, take the wine and the, and the bread, but they don't get to, well, why not? Well, but then we explain that to mm -hmm. them or we don't make decisions without praying and our kids see us do that. Well, the outsourcing that you mentioned earlier, that really starts at birth, really. Mm, yeah. I mean, there's children's church mm -hmm. now. Um, so it is possible mm -hmm. that a child doesn't sit in the corporate worship service until he's in middle school. Yeah, some people, it's middle school. It's just um, crazy. At least, in, in most yeah. cases, at least middle school. And See, I don't ever remember, and I'm the old one, so, <laughs> you know, back in the day for me, would that be the 80s, but I never went to children's church. We were in yeah. the worship service, and, you know, we got the fingernails in the leg every once in a while. <laughs> the little uh, mom pinch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I get it because, you know, and this is this is the it becomes a, a root problem with the church today is it's so much about sir the service and entertainment and making sure everybody's comfortable and making sure nobody feels awkward they they take the children out of the church because then you know what dude you don't have crying babies you don't have kids that are fussing and wanting to play with toys and you know whatever right. mm. um so it, it's incredibly convenient to just Take the kids out of the church. And so then when that yeah. kid reaches middle school, and let's say, you know, they've never been in a worship service, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, oh, you can't go to children's church anymore. You have to go to, quote, unquote, big right. church. Well, they don't know what they're doing in there mm -hmm. and how they're supposed to behave. And they don't like well, it. I'm, yeah, and they don't like it. They're bored. Yep. I'm all for children being in the service. Now, if you have like a three-month-old infant like yeah, they're probably not going to get much out of the, <laughs> out of the service, right? Um, but once your child gets to you know the age of two or three years old and they can start retaining memory, if they see especially their father um, in a setting where it is obvious that someone or something is higher than them, so God in this example, they're going to see that and they're going to notice that and they're going to remember it. Versus if they never see their parents yeah. worship in a corporate setting. Um, now, I'm not saying you have to drag your kids to all your Bible studies and things like that, <laughs> but it is important that they see you worship and that you're that model. Um, this is quoted a lot for a lot of discipleship uh, models in the Bible. Uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind, all your might. I need, a, need my glasses. <laughs> um <clears throat> These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, notice that part right in the middle there about sitting down with your children and having those conversations. Mm -hmm being intentional about that and, you know, literally binding the words of the Lord around your neck. Well, yeah. I mean, not literally, but <laughs> I mean, they're there. Like you should always be acknowledging them and obeying them and, and being doers of it. And <clears throat> that like your, your children are your primary disciples or they should be. Um, and, it, and it's not the youth pastor's job 
to to raise your children. Well, you know, you you pulled a you pulled a verse out of the Old Testament, and I think there's a lot of Christians out there that oh, they see the Old Testament, like ah, oh, well, you know, that's the Old Testament. And I know we've discussed this before. If you see Christianity as just a completion of Judaism, uh, I mean, it's it's we're it's Judaism, but with a with the Messiah that's already come, right? Um, if you look at it that way, it makes a whole lot more sense, and it makes a m- much stronger argument for Christianity. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, looking at the Old Testament, you know, we see a lot of those things. You know, like, oh, well, we don't follow all those laws, you know, so should we? And da 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 da, da and we could come into that another day. But you know, I do believe that the Old Testament sets up so many great things that we see in the New Testament, and that we see in the church today of, of the way it should look. You know, from the very beginning, God was always about discipleship. He, he tells them all, you know, he, he says, uh, you know, teach them, um, show them how to do this. You know, that was Adam. His responsibility was to teach Eve what God had taught them. And they're supposed to teach their kids and pass mm. down. Now think about it. How did they pass down uh, everything with Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and all that? By, by word of mouth. They talked about it all the time. They sat around. They said, now let me tell you the story about Abraham. Let me tell you about your great-great-grandfather, Abraham. Or your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-
I mean, I feel like that speaks for itself. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does. But, you know, I think a lot of people just read over that and they're just like, oh, you know, I'm, children, mm-hmm. you know, obey your parents. You know, OK, yeah. I'm supposed to teach my, teach them my to be kids a man. good morals. Yeah. You know, and that that was one of the big things in, uh, in teaching in churches and whatnot. They're like, you need to teach our kids good morals and you need to teach mm-hmm. our kids about, uh, you know, depression and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I am, but not directly. I'm showing them Christ. And in showing them Christ, they will learn morality. Uh, you know, they will learn how to overcome depression. And, we, you know, we would talk about things like that. Um, I mean, mental health is incredibly important, especially in the Christian realm, because there's a lot of people that are just like, you know, how, how could you be filled with the Holy Spirit and be depressed? You know, um, it happens. It absolutely happens. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that another day. Um, but, you know... You have so many parents that they outsource all of their kids' education. They send them to public school. They send them to church. Except for public schools, got them five days a week for eight hours a day. And fourteen hundred instructional hours. If they're if they're there all the time, I might have them five hours a week. If that, I mean, that's that's that, still a stretch. That's that's a real big stretch. And, yeah. Well, how many of those five hours are actual teaching? Exactly. Right, because I think I think it's fourteen thousand instructional hours between kindergarten and twelfth grade. Mm. Um, so when you're sending, I mean, I, I don't want to go down this route too hard, but it kind of fits. When you're sending your children to public school, and I already have my opinions on this. Um, <laughs> if 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 a if your child asks, Tartable let's say their teacher, yeah, if your child asks his or her teacher, why do I need to learn how to read? Their response is going to be, so you can read road signs and read menus and all that stuff, which is important. Don't get me wrong. Like, you need to, to be a decent citizen. you got to be able to at least read the road signs and menus. And the menus. And, yeah, <laughs> and things like that. So that answer is already conforming them to the image of our culture. That's already getting them down this this road. And I really don't know how to describe it. But if, if your child asks you, the parent, why it's important for them to read, you should say, because one of the main reasons, <clears throat> one of the main ways – God communicates with us is through his written word. That's the number one reason why you should learn how to read. All these other things will fall into place. So when you're sending your child to be raised by a secular education system, you're already taking them out of your hands. And, you know, maybe they're, I've heard a lot of people say, well, they're just learning like just math and literature and things like that. But they're still, well, how, what if, they're going to be the salt and light of the earth. You can't take all the Christians out of the public school. But again, that's not that's not the purpose because if you look at the context of the salt and light of the earth, it also says that the the essentially the useless salt can just be thrown onto the ground and trampled over with your feet. <laughs> so, are they really salt and light of the earth if they're spending that much time in public school and not under your own instruction? Well, so on that, you know, part of that is going to have to be understood with with our culture. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of things that would almost be impossible to change. So like, you know, most people, most parents work, both, a lot of, uh, households, both parents work and take it on a private school. Private school is expensive and even homeschool is expensive. And if you're having to work, that makes it even more difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, public school has its place. Um, but I think that we can have our kids in public school and still, train them in the way that they should go. I mean, for me, for example, I grew up, now I'm learning the Bible under the presuppositions that I was taught growing up between secular school and a Southern Baptist church. It's hard to get rid of a lot of those presuppositions. And it almost, in a sense, warps the way you study the Bible when you're raised in that sense. Well, I mean, even your culture is raising as an American messes up how you read the Bible. Um. Oh yeah, and, and that's it's hard to get rid of those presuppositions. Like it's nearly impossible. Um, but when you're not, when you're neglecting the responsibility to raise up your children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord and disciple them, um, that I can agree with. I can agree with that. You know, you should not neglect it. But there are so many more complications that come into parenting. Um, you know, and I don't want to parent to think, oh man, if I don't put my kids in private school or homeschool, then I'm just a bad Christian because that's not the case. Um, but I do think you need to be more careful. Yeah. Uh, you know, like with our kids with, with cussing, 
Um, you know, we don't let our kids cuss. We tell them, hey, it's wrong. So you can shelter the child and not show them anything, but then they're going to go to school and they're going to hear it anyway, right? Mm. Uh, now, I'm not saying you should shower them with it or anything I, by, by no means, but when we do come across that cuss word or they have a friend that cusses or does something like that, what we do is we explain to our children, hey, listen, that's what they're doing and that's their choice and that's fine, but, but we don't act that way. Don't and don't judge somebody and put them down because they're choosing to live their life that way. That's on them. I served with a pastor in Knoxville who actually stood in the pulpit on Mother's Day and told every mother in that congregation if they sent their child to a public school, they were bad mothers. Ugh. And I went to public school, but I was also in church regularly. Right. And during those Wednesday night, Sunday night, discipleship training, whatever you want to call it, you know, we were told, hey, that's your mission field. The the hall, the people you pass in the hallway, you know, people at the locker next to you probably don't believe yeah. the way you believe. Um, you know, and I've had people at school tell me, know that I was different because I didn't go out and party and right. cruise up and down Main Street. You know, I had no desire to do that stuff. So I think there is an opportunity there for evangelism, mission, sharing your faith. I'm just very, I just get almost like a cringe, creepy, you know, we're told to be in the world, not of the world. But there is, I think there is such a thing where you can be just, this is the same pastor who on a Wednesday night, the kids, we just happened to have a spontaneous discussion about alcoholism oh, and yeah. drugs. And because there were some kids that were, you know, they had friends that were dealing with that actually. And that was just, it came up organically. We talked right. about it and I got in trouble because he had, <laughs> Because he wanted his to shelter his kids, yeah. which is a problem. And I said, I've got all these other kids that spend their week in public school being surrounded by this. Uh, I can't help it if you're sheltering yours from the real world. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I get the whole homeschool mm -hmm. thing. Something It's probably not a very realistic thing for a lot because people work. Yeah. Um, and it's got to work for the kids, too. Right, right. It doesn't work for my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> She's too much of a social butterfly. You know, um, and, and another thing on that, you know, the whole private, and just not public school, you know, private school or homeschool. If you're just sending your kids to private school and you're outsourcing discipleship to them as well, you still have a problem. Agreed. It's the same problem. Yeah, you have to attack uh, the root. You know, home, homeschool is great. There, there's a lot of advantages. There's a lot of disadvantages too. It's it's hard to way to objectively say, you know, homeschool is bad or homeschool is good or public school is bad or whatever. But you know, I think we need to be careful. Um, you know, taking hard stances like that. Um, you know, anybody that's a parent, guys, it's complicated. Um, I, I'm a parent. I, I got three, and it's it's a tough job. And Katie, Katie, and I, my wife. Uh, we have done public school, we have done homeschool, and we're going to try private school. We're going to give it a shot and see how it goes. I'm sure there'll be plenty of things that, you know. Um, the, the point of this episode is is not, you know, you should do homeschool or you should do this or you should do that. Yeah, I don't want to get us Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that. The, the point and the, the, the purpose of this episode is to say, um, don't outsource your responsibilities of discipling your children. So if, if they could, you could, they go to private school or they go to church and they have bad theology. What do you do? And like, Oh, well, he's the pastor, you know, like, no, you are responsible as the parent. Doesn't well, mean you have to do it all, but you're responsible. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just thinking back while you were talking, I was paying attention kind of, sure. um, <laughs> but we talked about earlier having, your children in the worship service yeah. itself, or 
not children's church. And I was just sitting here thinking, you know, in the worship service, that's where I saw my parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles serve. You know, I, you know, I had an uncle who was the worship leader. Yeah. Watched him lead worship every week. Uh, my dad, granddad, they were deacons, so they would serve Lord's Supper and they would tell us about that. Um, yeah. Before we went in to the service at home, like, hey, we're going to have Lord's Supper today. Kind of what they do at the church that you're going to. Yeah. Uh, my mom sang uh, solos every once in a while. Um, that's ingrained in me is watching my family model service to the Lord in the church. Yeah. Um, so much so. Modeled worship. Right. A friend of mine was interviewing uh, Sandy Patty on his podcast. Now, she was people who's, who's that? She was a popular Christian artist. Mm. Was very popular back in the 80s when I was a child. And my mom sang a lot of her songs. Yeah. In church, so my friend was interviewing her on his podcast, and he played a little twenty-second clip of a song that was one of her most popular songs. And as soon as it started, I flashed back, and I, I saw my mom mm. standing there singing that exact same yeah. song. So, That's um, awesome. so having the kids in the service is a great opportunity for them to see um, service and worship being mm-hmm. modeled. For them, rather than just stick them in children's church where they color and then have a little five minute. Mm-hmm. We had the flannel boards in Sunday school. Now I'm assuming they did it in children's church too. I don't but, know what a flannel board is. Oh, you don't know what a flannel board is. I know what flannel is. Okay, you need that. I'm not going to go into all that. It's a thing that Eli hasn't worn in a while. It's not, <laughs> that, not that time of year. Oh, just it's YouTube the, that. The time that of was year. Okay. that was a big uh, and again back in the '80s before video, internet, and all phones. <laughs> You know, they pull out the flannel board, and you're in for, okay, oh, we're going to have, like, an actual just YouTube flannel board. I'm not going to get into it. All right. (laughs) We have all these different groups and almost divisions in the church, and and we create them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, one of the ways we create them is by age, and we will do, you know, most churches, your Sunday schools probably look like this. You've got your children, which they're broken up depending on how many kids you have. You know, maybe kindergarten first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Yeah, usually the children and the youth are done by school age. Yeah, exactly. Then you hit adults. Yeah, and and then you hit adults, and then it's like, okay, we got our college and career like you were talking about. You know, we're going to 18 to 30 or 29, you know, and then you got your... your, um, Young adults, so you or whatever you I don't know the newly adults. Thirty thirty to forty are newlyweds, or um, uh, just you know senior class or whatever. Like we literally defied the church. Right. Show me in the Bible age segregated. Yeah. Services. Yeah. That's what, not a thing. What I like at the church I'm at now, but they have they they essentially have classes, and you can um, you can sign up for whatever you want. You know, this one's talking about, I don't know, apologetics. This one's going through Nehemiah. This one's going through James. This one's going through the book uh, Radical by David Platt, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Or they talk about family discipleship or um, evangelism, spiritual disciplines. Yeah. Like, they have all these different things, and, and you can you can pick. And guess what? Most of them don't last longer than eight weeks. And they're not age segregated. Yep. Some and of them are can go. some of them are gender segregated, but you right. do see that in the Bible. Mm-hmm. That and I can then, point that out. And, and I, I just think it's hilarious the last few years when the when the subject of small groups has come up, mm-hmm. it scares people. They're like, No, we can't we can't You can't have, get rid of Sunday school. We, or, it's like in the Bible, no, man. Th- just the, the <laughs> thought of small groups. You didn't read first Sunday schools? Huh? You didn't read first Sunday schools by Paul? No, <laughs> but like they don't like the term small group, yeah. but I'm like, have you read the definition of small group? Because you're in one every Sunday morning. Yeah. You just call it a Sunday school class. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm seriously to the point where like with youth groups or college groups or whatever, if parents are neglecting their job to disciple their children and now we have subcultures of church that's separated, age segregated from the rest of the church, abolish it. You almost need to get rid of Literally, it. Literally because get rid of it. It was, I, I think the intention behind it was good but i think ultimately it has made everyone lazy 
in discipling yeah, absolutely. I, I'm seriously to the point where I would say let's abolish back, youth back group. On. When I was in high school, I never was part of a church youth group. Mm-hmm. Um, we attended services on Sundays. Now, um, when I would go and spend summers with my grandparents, um, the youth pastor there was always trying to include me with things. But see, I didn't go to school right. with those kids Um uh, so I, I would go and participate, but I never really did yeah. fit in with that. Um, but I was never part of a youth group mm-hmm. growing up. I mean, my parents and grandparents, you know, set me down or set all of us down, you know. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you can, you can read books, and um, I did my... Um, I'm saved, but, you know. My, yeah. my, my, I didn't go to a youth group. Right. My, my doctoral research. Saved, my doctoral research was I actually. I am saved. No, if you didn't go to a youth group, then you're not. <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> can't be saved. No. Um, my my doctoral research was actually on this, and one of the big things was, and actually Kim Ken Ham uh, talks about it quite a bit. Um, I think it's called Already Gone, and it, um, basically it's under the the idea that by the time they get to seventh and eighth grade. That child is already gone. That, though they are still in church, they're already they've left the building. They don't want to be there. They they're not really fitting in. And and he he had a different um, conclusion than I made because I, I had some different research. But um, the conclusion that I made because I was you know why are kids why do when they turn eighteen they graduate high school most of them don't come back. Like, two out of three don't come back. Well, for me, my experience was once they got their driver's license. Yeah. And, and then they had the option well. of, yes. you know, now mama and daddy's not forcing me yep. to come. I can drive myself if I want to go. Exactly. So the part, part of the research was on that. And I was like, you know, how important are parents? Which parents are huge role. Huge, 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 huge role. But do you know what keeps them there? It's Pizza. not that. It, yes. It, it, Dodgeball. Listen, if you, you're. How you get them there is how you're gonna have to keep them there. If you gotta keep them, if you gotta get them to church by feeding them and getting them food and giving them pizza and snacks and uh, you know this particular song and that particular song and this preacher and all this, if you're having to do that, you're gonna have to keep doing that to keep them there, because otherwise mm-hmm. they're gonna leave. Yeah. How you get them there is how you're gonna have to keep them there. And what I learned and the um, result in this research that I did. Um, I'm not going to get on all the boring stuff, but uh, um, it, um, but it's, essentially the conclusion was that if they will find somebody within the church where they can build more than a superficial relationship with them. So like, you know, most of the related like, oh, guys, we got a fellowship and stuff. And it's like, yeah, let's do a cookout. There's nothing wrong with a cookout. Cookouts are great. Um, they're, they're, they're fantastic. But the majority of our fellowship should be in the word. And we should be digging into doctrine. We should sound doctrine. We should be looking in uh, to, to scriptures and we should challenge each other. And when youth do that to one another, they're more likely to stay stick with church. Mm-hmm. Well, fellowship starts in the word. Yeah. Um, and uh, No, it doesn't. It starts over a potluck. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or lake day. <laughs> yeah, there you go, lake day. Um, uh, but I, I want to explain a little bit more about my whole let's abolish youth ministry thing is I don't want that to sound like I'm. Yeah, I think. Are you kidding me? You might need to camp on that. Yeah, I want to explain that because I know it sounds harsh. Just so you know, with getting rid of like youth ministry, children ministry, stuff like that, um, that's actually Ken Ham's conclusion in his Mm -hmm. book already gone. Well, and um, which I sort of agree. Well, I want to. I'm not saying. Well, let me just clarify this. As it is now, it should go away. It could be done right. I would say that generally speaking, in, in most churches in this area we've gotten to the point where they need to go um i'm not objectively saying that i'm I, it's like you just said if if we've You're gotten not to absolutely this point, saying that right like, um make an absolute statement right um so he, here's my thing i'm not against um let's say youth of the general age of you know middle school and high school boys meeting for a bible study or having their own yeah. worship service i'm not against that 
However, if it has gotten to the point where it is a subculture and they're now worshiping this style and they can't segregate or integrate with the rest of the church and seek wise counsel and be discipled mm-hmm. by other people, now it's a problem. Two, yeah. uh, go ahead. Go No, go. You're um, fine. Two, and the biggest thing here is parents are now neglecting discipling their children. Um, now, Eli, if you... If you uh, abolish youth groups, what about the kids that don't have parents that are discipling them? Well, the problem is that, okay, so you you can say that. So now let's get all these kids in here that parents aren't discipling them. Now you're giving these parents an excuse. I mean, you're just playing into the problem at this point. It's like, well, um, these people are, you know, they're... Um, they're, way, they're way too overweight. They're morbidly obese. Um, but they haven't had a meal today, so let's give them a big old potluck dinner. Now you're just giving into the problem. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. How about we implement a program to train parents on how to disciple their children, thus getting at the biblical root of how it should be done and not giving them a platform that feeds into the, the problem that's already there. Well, okay, not, let me throw this one at Yeah, you. go ahead. You see what I'm saying? That's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. What do you do with the student who's saved, but mom and dad aren't and have no interest in discipleship and... Well, that's that's and when he I doesn't think, have any discipleship at home. His parents um, aren't doing it. That's a good question. Uh, that's when I think that we should be meeting in homes a lot. Um, and in a sense, parents should be ready to take in those children. And now they're like, okay, it's like Paul. Paul was not Timothy's g- genetic father, but he was a spiritual father. So Paul disciples Timothy. He wrote him several letters. Um, instructed them on how to do things, but he was not his genetic father. So I think in that case, when you have a child that's parents are neglecting that discipleship, you sh- we as not we, I'm not a parent, but uh, <laughs> you know, parents should be willing to take in these children and disciple them, and hopefully, you know, also be evangelizing to that, that person's parents. Right. Um, well, if the church is going to do any sort of particular ministry, it should be for a discipleship ministry where you have um, people that are trained. To help these these younger people that don't have mm. parents that that'll disciple them, and then they they make a disciple that way. And at the at the church we're going to, they have a family discipleship plan that you can follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, yeah, they, if you need they help, constantly like every Sunday they're like, "Yep, talk to your kids on the way home about this." Well, you may not. And, you, a lot of people may not feel equipped. You know, they're like, "I just I just don't know enough about the Bible." You know, what if I say something wrong? What if I leave my kid wrong? I mean, like, I get that. Those are all. Genuine. When you should ask fears. those questions. So you should never just. Yeah. You know. But your kids need to see you struggle. Your kids need to see you fail, and your kids need to see you not know something. And, and if your kid asks you a question that you don't know, and they hear you respond with "Let's go to the the Bible," mm-hmm. that will speak more volumes than then you spitting out an answer to them. Yep. Um, if you can reconcile their question back to God's word, that that speaks volumes. And exactly. Um, the discipleship starts in the home with parents. And when we neglect that and we build a subculture of worship style that's now age segregated, cut it out. It, yeah. it needs to go. Because that's why we have so many, you know, we have a, uh, we have youth groups. And I've also seen youth groups that are now divided into middle school and high school. Now we have the college group. Now we have the college and career. Now we have the newlyweds and the young adults. It's all age segregated. And not only that, but think about how much money youth ministry brings in. All, we got, we got. I mean, there's more youth bands than there are youth groups at this point. <laughs> like, there's traveling youth bands that go there making money. Well, I remember um, um, being in um, church, and the youth would go to camp for a week, and then they would come back, and they would have to give a report to the yeah to the church body, and they would want to sing a couple of the songs that they would do at camp, and I just remember one year. Uh, there was a drum set sitting up on the platform, and one of the little old ladies came in, saw the drum set on the stage, turned around, left, got in her car, and went home. Um, so there's this divide, mm-hmm. and which mm-hmm. was all again, it was like for it's me, like the young don't like what you're doing, and the old don't like what they're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was important for me to bring them in and have them be part of the music ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, middle school, high school adult so yeah. you see all those ages on the platform playing an instrument singing yeah doing something that's how uh, it should be done the small group that i'm involved in at my church my wife and i we we sit together and um we sit at this round table and there are about 
four other ladies that are easily twice my age. Easily twice my age. <laughs> but they are um, awesome, though. And you know, they're they are they're they're awesome. They're they're real fun, and I know that in the past when I've had youth ministries and whatnot. It's so separated. It's like you got the young and the old, and you better keep them separated, or else you're going to be in trouble. And um, like I remember, they I had youth that were always so scared to be around some of the adults because they didn't know how to act around them. Right. But those adults should be pouring in to the youth and the children and making disciples out of them and actually teaching them things. Take one under your wing and and you know talk with them. Right. And, stuff. and so like she left and. Go- didn't even was not even interested in what the Lord had done in those kids' lives that week. Yeah, she just knew there was a drum set. So somebody's going to be playing drums, and she wasn't staying for it. And I thought, and wow, that, and that how just goes back selfish. to this, yeah, yeah. The, it's it, and that's not even age segregation at that point. It's just style segregation, right? You know, the youth likes this, and the adults like this. My and experience so has always them. been though, the youth always. What, assimilate is that the there, word? It's 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 funny because um, this actually happened to uh, one of the churches that I was at. Um, the the youth actually came up to me and it was like, "Why won't they let us play our our music?" You know, they're asking us to play, but they want us to sing a bunch of hymns, right? And like, we don't complain when they do hymns all the time. Like, yeah, but why, they do com- they, why are they complaining they complain on this when... one time that we want to do our contemporary I, stuff? I never got one anonymous note from a youth. Or yeah. child saying, <laughs> "Why don't we sing more Hillsong or whatever right. the yeah. popular thing uh-huh. is?" But I got plenty from. We need to sing more hymns. Gosh, and you know you were very very blended. I thought mm-hmm. I thought you did a very good job of blending the service. You had your contemporary and you had your um, uh, hymns, and then you had the ones that were combined. Right, those are good. Well, it was. I always said, you know, the church needed to be reminded God is still inspiring songwriters. Mm. He did not stop with Bill Gaither. Bill <laughs> Gaither was not the last divinely inspired composer. Um, but for me, my goal was always I want the whole body to worship together. Yes. Uh, not like, okay, we're going to do this song so everybody... Over 50, y'all sit down. And then, okay, now we're going to sing a hymn. So everybody that doesn't want y'all can sit. Like, no, we're going to do yeah. everything. Like, these are the songs uh, that are foundational to the faith. Yeah. And here's something that is being used of God today. Yeah. So let's bring all of that together. Um, you know, the line in the Christmas song, you know, kids from one to 92. Mm. That's what you got on a Sunday morning in that sanctuary. But you know, you know, you have the divisions in the church and a lot of this is based on not being discipled. It's not being discipled by the families like you're supposed to be. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're in service and you're at, you know, worship, you know, we're not worshiping you. We're worshiping God. Right. So what we need to be questioning is not, well, I don't really like the tune of that song. Does God like the tune of that song? Does God like the words that you are singing to him? Oh, we had a lady yeah. when I was growing up, Miss Annabelle. She loved to sing. Could not carry a tune <laughs> in a bucket. But there was nobody who stood on that platform whose heart was more pure when they said, I mean, anybody. Yeah. And... um I remember having a conversation one time after she passed away, and they said, well, she's finally singing on key now. And I was like, I hope not, because <laughs> she wouldn't sound like her, you know, if she was on tune. Right. Uh, and, you know, and it got to be, I remember when I was leading worship, uh, this is right before I went into college, the pastor, she was a Sunday night singer. He didn't want her singing on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I get that as far as, you know, you want to present the best. And, but I, again, it just goes back to she was sincere. Right. I mean, it didn't matter. You can put, you know, Sandy Patty or whoever on the platform. Well, 
And that's where we've gotten in the church. Sorry. No, uh, but, but go ahead. Even as off key as she was, you knew her heart was in it and it was pure praise yeah. on her. She was not performing mm -hmm. for anybody in that sanctuary. And see, that's what that's what Sunday morning worship service has turned into is a performance. Right. Um, you, you know, and, and I've always taught like anytime I would I would make a youth band and I would put them together and I would teach them, you know, I, I would always tell them, you know, you want to practice and you want to be good, but not for the purpose of pride, but for the purpose of, you know, giving God your best, number one, but then also limiting distractions. Oh, yeah. And once you trained them up and they got decent, then I would steal them. Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> uh, and it's like, what happened to them? I only get it for so long. That's right. And then uh, Jeremy takes them, yeah. puts them on the stage. I said, now you graduated. You're in the big, big league now. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think of, I think Vody, Vody Walkham and uh, like G3 Ministries has a lot of good stuff to say on this. I, I listened to them a, a decent amount um, regarding like family discipleship and uh, education and things like that. But uh Biblically speaking, and it's it's very clear that discipleship starts in the home, and it's unfortunate that we've gotten to such a point of neglect mm. in that because you know we think that raising our kids is just showing them how to tie a hook on a fishing rod and keep them drive a car, keep them out of jail, and you know all those are good things. But if we're not training them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord and teaching them that, then what is all the rest of that? You know. Um, well, as parents, you know. It is our responsibility. And if you don't feel equipped, talk to your pastor. Your pastor should be able to help you disciple your child. And and they themselves should also be being discipled yes. by you know their parents or other um, wise people of the faith. If everybody was being discipled, like the model in the Bible and what Jesus said, more than half of our problems would mm. go away. And I also think, I mean, it's kind of a random thought. I was thinking about it earlier while I was preparing for this. Um, you know, it's often a stereotype to judge a family that may have like six or seven children. I think that's awesome. Um, but And he, hear me out on this. Like, that's a lot of kids. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not putting a number on how many kids you have to have. That's not what I'm saying. If you have two kids, that's great. If you if you don't have any kids, that's great. If you have 100, that's, that's great. Um, but... You know, that's that's the main way of discipleship. If you want to make disciples, make children. <laughs> like, um, now, again, literally, uh, make you, disciples. That also can't neglect making disciples in your workplace and your school and all that yeah, stuff. You don't that's what make I'm them saying. There. Yeah, that, yeah that that's true. Yeah, yeah, you that's, get arrested that, for that. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not what I'm saying, but it, it, is a, it is a really beautiful thing to have lots of children that you disciple and, and raise in the ways of God and, and the instruction of His Word and. Well, I mean, um, you know, our, our three kids, you know, we, we sit them down and we talk to them about these things. They ask questions and we answer them to the best of our ability. And sometimes, uh, for example, you know, I, I'm telling you, hey, listen, I, I've been pastoring kids and youth for, you know, 10 years. Uh, and my own son wanted to go to the, the kids pastor. He wanted to ask him some questions. So he privately went with him and talked with him. I, I have no problem with that. Um, I think it's important that our children talk to someone other than their parents, but their parents need to be the front runner in their discipleship. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the father, I mean, it's kind of a whole other thing, but the role of the father is the spiritual leader of the household. Leader of the household. The household. Leader of the household. Right. And Doesn't say anything about him being a spiritual leader. Well, they are the they are the head. They, they are, are the, the headship under the headship of God. They are the spiritual leader, but they are the leader of their household, period. Well, yeah, I agree. Understand? But I think the spiritual leader is part of that. Well, it is part of that. See, then what are you one saying? neglects the leadership of the household. Oh, yeah, and I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the father is the leader. Um, and again, uh, we're so quick to, I don't want to get into this, but we're, we're so quick to hire pastors and such when we've never even met their families and we've found out if they are the leaders of their household because it's very clear that when appointing elders um they have to be the leaders of their household and well they have to manage um, their house manage their household yeah you can see that in first timothy 2 um so you know why are we hiring pastors if we have no idea if they're even doing their job in their house because their household is before their congregation yep 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, we can we can hit on that. Um, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor that I was I was expected to put my family second. And that's not how it now, should be. Now, I had pastors that I worked with and worked for that that did believe that my family was first. Um, but unfortunately, it's very few and far between. Mm. And then, um, you know, they would also say that, but they wouldn't really mean it. Um, and now now we're, we're talking about, just, just so everybody knows, we're, we're talking about the ideal home. The ideal home, not broken home. You got mom, you got dad. And you got your kids. Mm. And, um, yeah, and the, the there's ideal. so many specific what, what you, scenarios. I mean, and, and we, we don't have time to, to to jump into this, but you know, what do you do when the, the father is not leading mm-hmm. the household like he should? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do? What if, he, what if you don't have a father? Like, what if he's what yeah, if he passed uh, away? Or... What if what if the dad is not saved? What if the mom is not? I don't saved? think we touched on that earlier. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, briefly. Sort of. Yeah. Well, and that's where, like, yeah, I'll hit on that again just to emphasize that. Like, if you see other children and their their parents have just neglected the faith, they're not Christians, take those children in, you know. Um, have Be like Paul, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and obviously that you, you shouldn't just neglect evangelizing to their parents, but take those children in. And Well, you know, Katie's you know. had an excellent opportunity over the past few years uh, to nanny some kids. And it's it's been a great opportunity for her to... Um, you know, try to make a disciple, try to plant mm. those seeds and whatnot. And Katie, your wife. Yeah, Katie, yeah. my wife. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, guys, I, I think that's an excellent conversation. I think I think we hit a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'd encourage some people. You know, go back and listen to the Passover episode, and uh, when we talk with Rabbi, and and he talks about some of this family discipleship and it being our responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think that's and, in the second part of the. Yeah, Passover. it may be. Yeah, um, he said. One of the things he said was when people ask him if he does small groups, he says, yeah, they're called families. Right. That is so accurate. Yeah. And yeah. And also listen to the, what is a disciple and making disciples that got posted before this. Don't be discouraged. You know, ask for help. Just go and start. Listen, listen, the Holy Spirit's got your back. Okay. It's the Holy Spirit that leads, not you. You know, you pray about it and then you lead that child. Mm-hmm. Um, God's got them. It's a, it's okay, but it is it's our responsibility to lead them to Christ. It's our dis, um, responsibility to disciple them, not just to lead them to Christ. Listen, it's not okay. I'm going to leave. Oh, my son's saved. Woo-hoo! Our house is good. Check. We're going to heaven. You know, good yep. to go. We're all going to heaven. You know, uh, no, that's the beginning. If anything, thanks for listening. For more information on DDS Faith Ministries, please visit our website at ddsfaith.org. And follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.